wherever you are, would you stretch out a hand for Bethan? And let's pray for her. Lord, I want to thank you for this woman of God. I thank you, Lord, that she is such a strength to this church. I thank you for the way that she leads, the way that she sets such a tone for prayer and just intercession and encounter with you, Lord. I pray this morning that she would set that same tone not only for us, but for herself in her own life. As she preaches, I pray that she would be encountering you every word, every step, Lord God. I pray that you would fill her with joy and fire. I pray, God, that she would be contagious this morning, Lord God, as she preaches with passion, with a zeal for your house, Lord. I pray you'd give her the words to say. I pray you would strip away any uh, nerves or agendas or pride, anything within her, Lord, that is not of you. I pray it would fall to the ground in Jesus' name and that you would fill her afresh with your Holy Spirit. And as she preaches this morning, she would know that she's being used mightily as a vessel of glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. coming up on the stage and not face planting so now that's finished it's really good I'm so excited to be here this morning to be sharing with you all and welcome we've got a few new faces as well Laurie has made it all the way from New Zealand just for today she's not she's she's studying here for six months but she has just come over from New Zealand so everyone make sure they say hi to Laurie and there's a few other people I can see over here so really good to see you guys um, Nico thank you for recognizing I'm not a 30 year old Indian male man I'm glad that you did recognise that for me, and not that your prayer wasn't good enough, but before I begin, I'd love to start in a bit more prayer as well. Yeah, God, thank you so much for this opportunity. God, I want to thank you for the word. I want to thank you for the gift of the Bible. I pray, Lord, you'd help us hear your voice today. I pray you'd use my words and use me as a vessel, because God, it is your voice that we're wanting to hear, not my own. I pray that you'd have your way today. You'd be speaking to our community through this message. God, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for how close you are, how present you are. And I pray that we just continue to remember this as we go into the word. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. My bubble was upside down. That's better. So we are continuing our series in Luke today, and we're going through Luke 8 and verses 16 to 18. So to kind of set the scene a little bit at the moment, what we've got is at the start of the chapter, it says that Jesus, he's been going through cities and villages, and he's been proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So he's kind of done those roundabout little tour of, of all these cities and these villages, and he's been bringing God's message to these people that haven't heard it before. And with him, he's decided to bring his 12 disciples and these disciples, they would have been as, seen as like quite misfitty kind of people. They would not traditionally have been picked or chosen to follow a rabbi or to learn from a rabbi. And not only has he brought these kind of oddballs of disciples, but he's, he's brought women along with him. And it says that these women, that they were known to have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So essentially saying that some of these women had been possessed by demons who Jesus had healed, and some believe that May Magdalene was a prostitute. So before Jesus has even said a word, we've got quite a controversial crowd going on, and people would have been keen to hear what he's going to say. So he's, he's gathered this crowd, and we heard from Zach last week, sharing on the parable of the seed and the sower and the good soil. So he starts to teach in these parables, and parables are essentially, they're really simple stories used to uncover profound truth. 
And Jesus is using these parables because he wants people who maybe haven't been educated, maybe haven't studied the Torah, he still wants them to understand his message and his truth. But to those who maybe have studied and they've got lots of intellect, if their hearts were hard towards Jesus, they would have just completely missed the point. So Jesus has started by this parable of the seed of the sower, and then he continues and he says the second parable, which is a lamp under a jar. And the words that he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So Jesus, he's not literally talking about lighting lamps and putting them under jars and open flames under beds. It, again, he's using this as an analogy to uncover a deeper truth to it. And when he says that no one after lighting a lamp, what he's doing when he says lighting lamp, he's, he's drawing a direct parallel back to that previous parable. And that someone who has lit their lamp would be someone whose seed has landed on good soil. So that would be a, some, someone who's they've heard the word of God, they've therefore received the word of God, and then finally they are now followers of God. So Jesus is saying, once someone has lit their lamp, their soil, has, there's a seed on good soil, and they're a follower of God, they cannot go back and they cannot be living in darkness anymore. The two just don't combine or don't mix. And he says that the things that are within us will be coming to the surface. So what's hidden, what is secret, what we are spending our time reading, thinking of, worshipping, that will be coming to the surface whether we like it or not. And Jesus, at the same time here, he's both encouraging people to follow him and be truthful to him, but he's also warning people that if they're not and they're turning away from him, that won't be kept secret and it will come to the surface. He then gives a warning and he says, take, the, take care then how you hear. So he's almost implying that there's the right way to hear the word and the wrong way to hear the word, which I'll touch on in a little bit. And then finally he says, to the one who has, more will be given and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So here it's, he's implying that someone who is seeking God, someone who's seeking God's will, God's law, his wisdom and revelation, God sees that and he adds more onto it. But to the one who is consciously choosing to turn away from God, even what they thought that they could hold on to, that will be taken away. And we see this nowadays, we are living in this post-truth society where people are taking truth to be very subjective, they're making it their own, and they're clinging on to that. But there will come a day where people will realise the truth that they thought they held on to is just fickle, it is meaningless, and what foundation they thought they had will be taken away. So Jesus here, he's both encouraging and warning people at the same time. So what does this mean for us over 2,000 years later? How can we be applying this to our lives and the first thing that I want to pick up on is Jesus, when he says no one after lighting a lamp, he's, he's assuming that the people who are following him have already lit their lamp. You can't cover a lamp that's not lit. That doesn't make sense in this story. He's saying after someone has lit their lamp. And for a Jew at that time, if you were a follower of God and you were a follower of Yahweh, there would be an expectation that regularly you'd be going to the temple and you'd be hearing the Torah spoken out. So the Torah, it's like our Bible. It's the first five books and it's what the Jews those days they relied on. They wouldn't have read it themselves. They didn't have their own physical copies. That would be very rare. But they would go and they would hear it spoken out. So Jesus is expecting the people who are following him that they have this routine and they have this habit of hearing God's word through the Torah spoken out. Now for us, that means as Christians, if we are a modern day Christian, we have to be reading our Bibles. 
we have to be opening the word. There's that assumption that it is part of our faith. It is not an additional add-on. Some of the most precious possessions that I own are some Bible pages given to me by a North Korean Christian refugee when I spent some time in South Korea a few years ago. And these Bible pages are so precious because they're waterproof and they're in Korean. Um, And the reason that they're waterproof is that Bibles have to be smuggled into the country. So it's illegal to own a Bible there. It's the number one most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. And the Bibles are smuggled over this river that borders between China and North Korea. So when I see them, it reminds me of how precious it is to own a Bible. It is a privilege that we take for granted every day. And we need to remember that there are people that do not have access to that. And this individual who gave me the Bible, if they had been found in North Korea with a Bible, not only would they have been killed or imprisoned, but their whole family by association would also have been killed or imprisoned. The Bible is so precious. We are so lucky to have it. and We cannot be taking it for granted. We have to be opening it up every day. The Bible it is our living word, it is a compass, it is a light to our feet, and it is God revealed to us. And there have been wars that have been literally fought over the Bible. There have been lives that have been lost for the Bible, and people have risked everything to smuggle it into countries. There are places in the world where owning a Bible is illegal because people recognize how dangerous and how powerful they are. And I just think it's crazy. If people like Kim Jong-un and Al-Qaeda, they can see the power of a Bible and we can't, something is going wrong. We need to be recognizing how powerful it is and it can disable evil kingdoms. It can bring down horrible earthly things. And I genuinely believe one of the enemy's tactics for this generation is to make us biblically illiterate. Because if he can disable us and we can't for ourselves read the Bible or understand the word, then we are powerless. So my first point is let's be reading the word. Let's understand what a privilege it is to have one and to be able to open it up. There's a philosopher who talks about three different beliefs that a person has. The first belief would be the belief that I say, but I know it's not true and I know I'm just lying. And the second one is the belief that I say and I think I believe, but actually there's no evidence for it in my life. And the last one is the belief that I say, and I know wholeheartedly that I do actually believe. So for example, I could say that as a Christian, reading the Bible is one of the most important parts of my day, but I could just lie and I could know it's not true for me. The second thing I could do is I could say that as a Christian, reading the Bible is an important part of my life. And I could think that's true for me, but actually if I look at the evidence of my life, I'm consistently finding reasons why I'm too busy or I'm too tired, or I've got other important things to do, and I actually don't spend much time in the Word. And I think that's the most dangerous one for us to be sitting in when we think we're okay, but actually there's no evidence for it in our lives. And then the last belief would be me saying that as a Christian, reading the Bible is one of the most important parts of my day, and I consistently make space and time to open it up and to read it. We have to look at the evidence of our lives. So are there things that we're turning to more consistently than the Bible? For example, do you read the news more often than you read the Bible? Are you more consistent with a morning coffee than a Bible? (laughs) And I know the crowd that I'm speaking to here. (laughs) And finally, would scrolling through Instagram, is that more of a habit in your life than opening and reading scripture? Part of my testimony, so when I became a Christian, I sat on my bedroom floor at university and I'd done an Alpha course, so big up Alpha, would highly, highly recommend. And I'd been trying out church, and I remember wanting to engage with it, but just not knowing how. And I remember sitting on my bedroom floor, and I said this prayer, and I was like, God, 
the Bible's boring. <laughs> I was like, God, prayer is just so dull. <laughs> I was like, I have no interest in all of this stuff and all this stuff that I know I shouldn't be doing is just really appealing. And I remember just sitting on my bedroom floor and just saying, God, help me. Like, help me want to want you because I want to want the Bible and I want to want prayer and I don't want these other things. And I generally, I woke up the next morning and I felt like all my desires had been flipped upside down. I remember I couldn't get enough of scripture and I couldn't get enough of prayer. And the things that I used to be involved with just didn't appeal to me anymore. And I'm not saying it's always going to be like an instant switch like that. But if you're struggling, pray. Pray about your prayer life. Pray about reading the Bible. Pray that your desires would reflect God's as well. One of our values as a church is that we are rooted in the word. And that's because we recognize that revival will just be out of the question for our city unless we are rooted in foundation, in scripture, in God's living word. And a practical way that we can do that, if you're here and you don't really know where to start with a Bible or it's kind of new to you, you can go and pick up a Bible at the back. They are free. Please just just take one. And we're going through a daily Bible reading plan at the moment. So we're going through a few chapters each morning of scripture. And if you don't know where to start, I'd say just start. Just pick up a Bible, start today, and you can start making it a habit in your life. So the first thing we're doing, we're hearing the word, we're reading the Bible. And the next thing we want to do is we want to be people who are keeping the word. Jesus, he gives that warning. He says, take care then how you hear. So he's saying, first of all, you've got to hear. And the second thing you've got to do is you've got to hear it correctly. And the word he uses here for hear, it's in Greek, I think it's akute. Don't quote me on that. But it means much more than just an audible hearing of something. It means to learn and it means to understand and to comprehend. So, for example, Ed this morning came with a tech thing and he was talking about how it's broken. And I heard him. I did not understand a word that he was saying. It just went completely over my head. And there's a difference between just hearing something and knowing what it's meaning and applying it to myself. Ages ago, me, Rach and Becky and Ellie, we sat down to watch this Christmas film called Deck the Halls. I don't know if anyone's seen it. Don't. It's, it's rubbish. We didn't, we didn't even watch half of it, I think. We, <laughs> we gave up pretty quickly. But we got the plot and we got the idea. And it's You've got this family in America, and the father of this house, he's known as the guy who loves Christmas. So his thing is that he adores Christmas. And every Christmas, he goes and puts out extravagant lights. And you've got this new family that move in right next to this house. And the father of that house, he has this weird goal that he wants his house to be seen by space. So he starts buying really bright, flashing lights. And then they enter into this really weird competition where they're trying to outdo one another with Christmas decorations and it just gets stupid and extravagant and, and then we stop watching the film. But um, <laughs> we got the plot and it made me chuckle because it reminded me as a kid, um, me and... So I grew up in a village on the border of Wales and it was nice, but to be honest, it's a place most people just go to die. There isn't much to do there. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It's a pretty sleepy place. And my parents had to raise three young kids. And you guys know me now. I'm quite a handful. As a a five-year-old, definitely wasn't anything less. So I remember my mum used to drive me and my brothers to the top of the village because there was a house there that was known as a house that loved Christmas. Yeah, and it looked exactly like this. So you couldn't even see like a blade of grass. You, they had like moving snowmen and like Santa Clauses and flashing lights and Christmas trees. And we would, <laughs> we would drive and we would just park the car and we'd look at the house for like 10 minutes and drive home. I told you like there's nothing to do in this village, but it was really fun and it kept us entertained for a while. And we had no doubt that that family loved Christmas. We knew that they adored Christmas. 
when I was looking up this picture, I found myself in a really weird corner of the internet where there's um, an annual worst Christmas tree competition. And I got a couple of pictures. So the first one is like they started and then not even halfway through, much like us watching the film, they just gave up and couldn't commit to it. And then the second one, which won worst Christmas tree of the year, I actually think would give me nightmares. Like if that was in my flat around Christmas time, I would be scared. But imagine if you're going to someone's house and they say, I love Christmas, I'm the Christmas person, and you see that when you walk in, whilst they may be proclaiming that they're the Christmas person and Christmas is, is all they do, the evidence is actually saying something very different. And this is where we've got a bit of a tenuous link back to our faith. But as Christians, if we are reading the Bible and we say our decisions are based on biblical truths, but actually we're going out and we're lying and... I don't know, stealing? I don't know if anyone does that, but don't. But if we're doing things... <laughs> we need another conversation if that's actually happening in the room. <laughs> Maybe lying. Let's go with lying. If we're going out and we're lying, whilst we may be saying that we're a Christian and we live our lives biblically, the evidence would be saying something completely different. And this is what Jesus is warning against here. He's saying you've got to apply the truths of the Bible to your words and to your actions, to your thoughts. Otherwise, you're not really hearing it. You're just listening and hearing the audible sounds. I have a collection of verses that I like to call my Jesus mic drop moments. And they're short, like sharp verses of the Bible that would be very easy to just read and kind of gloss over and move on with my day and forget. But actually, when you stop and when you try and apply them to your life, it suddenly gets really, really challenging. So the one that I'm working on at the moment is in Philippians, and it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, it'd be much more comfortable to just read that and move on with my day, but actually, if I want to be someone who's living out biblical truths, I need to stop trying to grumble and argue. And I think some days I can do some things without grumbling or arguing. On a good day, I can do most things without grumbling or arguing. But the thought of doing everything without grumbling or arguing, that is so countercultural. But the reason I'm trying to apply that to my life is I know that if in my workplace I'm someone who, despite what everyone else is doing, I refuse to grumble and I refuse to argue, people are going to pick up and they're going to notice and they're going to ask me why I don't do it. And I can come back to the Bible and say it's because I'm a Christian and because I'm a follower of Jesus that I refuse to do this. If you're struggling of where to go in the Bible to practically apply things to your life, I'd say Matthew 5 is amazing. It's a Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has just got full of practical advice of how we should be living our lives. So maybe go read that and pick out a couple of verses and try and start applying them to the way that you're living. And I love in James, it kind of sums it up with one verse, and he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says which is, to be honest, my whole preach is just summarizing that one verse, but we need to do what it says. So do we read about selflessness, and then because of what we read, we choose to serve someone else and not seek our own comfort? Do we read about justice and therefore choose to fight injustice with someone else? Do we read about joy, and no matter how we feel, we choose to add joy to a room as opposed to take it away from a room? Can the people that we work with, can people at uni, can people even at church, families, friends, can they tell that not only are we Christians, but we read the Bible? Can they see through our actions that the Bible is reflected in us? A really good way to do that is ask someone who's close to you, maybe someone you live with or someone here at church. Can they see the nine fruit of the Spirit working in your life? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I heard that intake of breath. 
So can someone see love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Can they see that in your words, in your actions, in your thoughts? And it's not in a condemning way, but it's to help us highlight and how we can be more refined and how we can look more like Jesus. I just want to note here, and it is important that being people who keep the word, it's not about every time we open scripture, we feel like there's a dagger to our heart because we're pathetic and we can't do any of it. If we're people who keep God's word, we also keep to God's grace as well. So the things that God says over us, that's where we get our identity from. No matter what the world is saying or other people are saying about us, that's not who we are. We go back to scripture and we get our foundation of who we are by God's word and God's word alone. And then we've got these two things. We've got the challenges of the Bible, but the grace of the Bible as well that are working within us to make us individuals who are so confident and secure in who we are, but yet we still know that there's so much more for us and there's so much further for us to go. We can't have one without the other. Something that I've started doing, which is really helpful before I'm reading my Bible in the morning, is I'll just spend 30 seconds praying, so it's not very long, but I acknowledge God's presence, and I ask him to help me hear what he's trying to say to me, and I ask him to help me apply what he's saying to me to my lives. Because there's been quite a few days where I've done my Bible reading plan, and an hour later, if someone asked me what it was, or what I learned, I would just not be able to answer. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to mindlessly read the Bible. I want to engage my mind and my body and my intellect and my soul when I'm opening up this Holy Scripture. So we are people, we are listening to the Word, we are hearing what it's saying, we are consistently reading it, and then we are people who keep to the Word, so we are applying it to our lives and we're allowing it to shape who we are. And the last thing I want to do is be someone who is sharing the Word. So when we recognize that something is just so good, when we recognize how perfect and good and incredible it is, it is just so natural to want to share it with everyone around us. Ages ago, Tara made these amazing like Swedish chocolate balls, and I, I can't remember the name of them, but they were so tasty and like Moorish and buttery, and, and everyone should try them. And I remember telling Tara, like, these are incredible, they're so good. And the next time I saw her, without me even asking, she had wrote out this beautiful handwritten recipe and had given it to me. So in theory, I could make them at any time I wanted to. I had full access now to these baked goods. I haven't, I haven't actually made them, but I'm planning to. <laughs> at some point this year, I'm planning to make them. Um, and it just meant that not only could I make them, but I could share them with people around me as well. And Tara knew how good those little chocolate balls were she knew how tasty they were and therefore she wanted to share them with me and it's the same with our faith we can't just sit and pray in a room that other people are going to hear the gospel we have to go and we have to speak it out and as much as I'm an advocate for prayer you know I am we it's not enough we actually have to go and we have to speak it out to someone we have to be bold and we have to share it I said an analogy at um, ladies meeting yesterday which I think horrified people but I'm going to say it again (laughs) Um, and I said that being a Christian it's uh, I can't believe I'm saying this it's not just pie in the sky when you die but it's cake on the plate while you wait (laughs) do you want me to say it again? yeah (laughs) so being (laughs) being a Christian it's not pie in the sky when you die it's cake on the (laughs) cake on the plate while you wait And I'm looking at Nico and I can tell this is also my last preach at VH today. (laughs) Um, And essentially, 
what I'm meaning when I say this, that weird analogy is that being a Christian, it's not just that we have the assurance of salvation in our lives. It's not just that we know when we die, we go to heaven. But it's the fact that we've got our cake on the plate, that we've got a life that we can live with him right now. We have a faith that we can enjoy whilst we're here on earth and we get both of those things. And if I'm not the one who's going out into my workplace and getting excited to share this and talking about church and Jesus and my faith, then who is? Because it's not going to be other people. It's going to be us. I know it's not easy and I know it's not comfortable. And at my workplace at the moment, I change teams every six months. So every six months I experience coming out the Christian closet, which is always interesting. And there'll, there'll be a moment where someone in the office asks, how was your weekend or what are your weekend plans? And it would always be more comfortable to say, I'm just hanging out with friends or we're singing songs together or we're reading a book or trying to make churchy, church sound less churchy to them. But there's this moment where you have to step out in faith and you have to step out and boldly and say, well, I'm a Christian, so I go to church on a Sunday. And sometimes you'll get a weird reaction. But that's not the point. The point is sometimes someone will hear it and will recognize now that you are a Christian, therefore you're someone they can go to in times of need. I'd encourage us all to be bold, to be stepping out. The whole point is that it's good news and news is meant to be shared. It's not meant to be kept to ourselves. And it is good We're called Victory Hill. We're not called Defeated Hill. We're not called Breakeven Hill. We are Victory Hill. And that's because we recognize that we stand on God's victory and God's victory alone. It's because of Jesus who went to the cross to pay for our sins when we should have been there. Because he died for us and then rose again, that is why we have a victory. And it is God's victory alone. If you want to practice being bold and you want to practice sharing your faith, then please come along to VH Express. Even if you don't want to practice it, come along to VH Express. It is such a good place to be. And it's so nice to be able to test out those evangelism muscles for the first time. It's where we come to the meadows on a Saturday afternoon and we'll um, give out drinks and food, but we also share the good news. And there's something about when you tell someone for the first time that Jesus loves them, it is so special. It is so, so special. And there have been so many times where I wake up and think, I don't really want to, or what if I run into someone I know, or I'm not feeling very bold or confident today. But you've got to step out, and we've got to practice doing this. I want to finish on a few verses in Ephesians that Paul says. And Paul, the great evangelist, he's asking for prayer. And he says, pray for me that I might boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel as I ought to. And I love a few things about this. I love how Paul recognizes that he, who is such a pillar of the faith, he needs prayer. He's asking for prayer. And he says that he wants to boldly proclaim the gospel. Boldness isn't always an emotion or a feeling. Sometimes we can feel scared and we can feel timid, but we choose to act in boldness. So Paul is asking that he would be confident in what he's sharing. And I love the last few words that he says, as I ought to. I love how he recognizes that because he is a follower of Jesus, he is meant to be going out and he is meant to be sharing that message. That is now part of his responsibility. And I'd love to pray for us today. I'd love to pray for that we would be a people who are bold in sharing when we don't feel like it. I'd love to pray that we are people that are practically applying what we read in scripture to our lives. And I'd love to pray as well that we would read it. It would be a consistent part of our day. So if I could invite you all to stand up just now. And I'd say, take a leaf out of Paul's book. If you feel like there's something that you really want to grow in, then go and get prayer from the ministry team at the back. If Paul needs prayer, we all need prayer, 100%. And I'm just going to pray over us right now.
Father, I want to thank you that you have given us our Bibles. God, I want to thank you that they are a precious possession. Thank you that it is a privilege to own one. Jesus, I pray that we would carve time each day to open scripture. God, I pray that we would be spending time in your word. Father, I pray that what we read would be shaping who we are. Jesus, I pray that our words and our actions and the things we speak over people would be shaped by the Bible, would be shaped by love. Jesus, I pray that we'd take hold of your grace as well, that we'd get who we are from the promises in the word and from nothing else. And Jesus, I finally pray that we would be a bold people, that we would be going out and we'd be sharing your message for everyone to hear. I pray we'd take every opportunity that you give us to share the good news of your kingdom. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.